what brings real value and meaning to your life. Mm. So this guy's like, Jesus, tell this guy to follow the law or whatever so that, you know. I could have my money and be happy. Be happy, exactly. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, where our goal is to help you grow in your faith. A strong faith is the foundation for every good thing in your life. It guides you through tough times and encourages you every single day. And a strong faith will help the good times be even better because it is faith that brings meaning to life. Your faith is the primary factor in growing emotionally strong, and it gives you guidance in how to fall in love with the most important people in your life. And to keep away from the toxic ones as well. <laughs> yeah. Avoid toxicity. Yeah, so we want to. Uh, we are here to help you grow a strong and powerful faith because it is the key to the most important things in your life. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Doctor <laughs> Douglas Peak. Well, so good to be with you. Uh, what a great summer that we're having right now. I really love this series of studying all the parables of Jesus. It's really giving us a very unique and in-depth perspective of the kingdom of God. What What are the values? use of the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus seemed to tell a lot of parables about how you become a part of the kingdom of God and what it requires of us. And that is, is that on the one hand, Jesus came to give himself in order to make that happen. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the gate through which we enter. So in an act of grace, he's made it happen. But all of the parables he tells us shows Boy, there's a lot on us, too, in receiving this gift mm. and how we have to make a choice and we have to count the cost and we have to understand the values of the kingdom. And that's why I'm loving this series, because it really helps me and I hope it's helping you understand what you believe, why you believe it, and what are the values that God is calling you to adopt into your life each and every day that reflect what it means to live in his kingdom. Absolutely. And this parable that we're studying today is found in Luke 12, and that is the parable of the rich fool. Shall I read it? Yes, please do. All right. So we're starting tw uh, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have uh, many goods laid up for many years to come, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and mm. now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Mm. There's a lot going on in that verse, in that <laughs> parable, Pastor. Are you going to help me break this down a little bit? Well, I think yeah, I'm a let's little kind confused. of understand it. Remember, Jesus, it begins as answering a question like he does all too often, and that is, uh, the guy comes up and says, hey, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I now, want my cut. I want my cut. So basically the dad, uh, you know, passed away and then there is an inheritance. Now we're not quite sure. Scholars kind of debate this a little bit. Is the brother saying it should be a 50-50 cut 
or is he saying that the older brother, you know, hasn't given me my portion of whatever that it might be? And Jesus then answers that uh, only that question. Hey, I'm not the judge, right? But he goes on to tell the story because he's really trying to, I think, answer a deeper question. And that is what brings real value and meaning to your life? Mm. So this guy's like, Jesus, tell this guy to follow the law or whatever so that, you know. I could have my money and be happy. Be happy, exactly. And so, because notice how he starts off. He, he says, be aware of any kind of greed. Be on guard against it. Any type of greed. So first of all, let's talk about greed because I think you really need to, in order to understand this parable and its power, you need to understand what Jesus is specifically talking about. Okay. Now, greed is one of the most interesting qualities of human nature, right? And so we need to define it. So I think Webster's or I can Oxford or somebody, they define greed as basically avarice. They go, it's an insatiable desire for material gain, be it food, money, land, or inanimate possessions. Uh, an insatiable desire for social value, such as status or power. Greed has been identified as undesirable throughout history because it creates a behavior conflict. This is what's interesting. It creates a behavior conflict between personal and social goals. So what it does is it undermines your personhood and how you interact in your society. So they see it as a conflict between uh, what happens when a person's goals become too narcissistic or selfish in their orientation, and how does that impact the goals of society to get along? Now, it's really interesting is why is this a part of human nature? And where does it really come from? And so there's a lot of people that have kind of debated this. And one of the most interesting experiments I have ever heard is a research study. It was done about 20 years ago. And I think you're going to be really interested about this one. What they wanted to do is they wanted to see is could human beings bond together in a society in a way that's mutually beneficial. Now, this is what's fascinating is because this is the premise of all Marxist ideology, okay. right? Communism, socialism, all this stuff is that everybody wants a system that's fair to everybody, right? And the biggest criticism of Marx is that he denies human nature. It just doesn't ever happen. Just, yep. And George Orwell, he addressed this in his book, The Animal Farm. And you remember the pigs, you know, convince all the animals to kill the farmer, get rid of the farmer. But then the pigs take over, right? And mm -hmm. then the pigs, their statement, you know, I can't remember who it was with is a donkey or chicken or somebody asks him, says, I thought we were equal, equal. And the pig replies, some of us are more equal than others. Right. And that's human nature. And so here's the experiment. What they did is they put four people around a card table. And then they put a bowl with five $1 bills in it. Okay. So five bucks in there. And they said, at any moment, any person can reach into the bowl, grab the money or take, take money and keep whatever they grab, whatever okay. they take out. Okay. He goes, on the other hand, what you need to know is that every minute that goes by, guess what we will do? We will double the amount of dollar bills in that bowl. So, in five minutes, that would be $160. Okay. 
Okay. In 10 minutes, you know what that would be? $5,120. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. In 10 minutes, you could have $5,000. And what you could do is you could say, well, let's just wait five more minutes and you'd have $100,000 in there. And the four people could each take out $25,000 and walk away equally, right? All they had to do, just four people make an agreement, right? Guess what happened? Never got that far. <laughs> it never got past three minutes. Oh my gosh. Somebody would just eventually go, bam, grab it all. That was it. And it didn't matter who they were, what their religion was. didn't matter what their uh, language they spoke. It doesn't matter what their socioeconomic status was. They had people that were super wealthy uh, sitting next to people who were super poor. Four people around the table could never make it past three minutes. What does that say about human nature? That we're very greedy people. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just ridiculous because it's there. We see that in so many ways where people will make the choice best for themselves and not look towards the, but if we just sacrifice a little altogether, then there could be a much greater good, a hundred thousand dollars worth of greater good. Just <laughs> yeah. Past 10 more minutes. Yeah. Here. Yeah. 10 minutes, you know, cause you think about that 10 minutes in you're at five grand. So at 11 minutes, you're at 11 grand right? At 12 minutes, you're at 22 grand. At 13 minutes, you're at 44 grand, right? Right. So in another five minutes, you're almost at a hundred grand in there. I mean, it's uh, you're 88 grand or something. It's just amazing how quickly it, it gets up. But see what this says is I think what's interesting is greed comes from the soul, right? And what it does is it robs us of our humanity, right? It's like what you said I thought is really interesting is that what greed does is, is it stops us from doing what? Having a, an agreement with the other three people sitting around the table. And we end up doing what we think is best for us, regardless of how it may impact those around us. So we mm. lose our social conscience. But what is it that makes us human beings, you see, beyond any other animal? And according to the scripture in... Genesis chapter one, verse 27, where it says, let us make man in our image. So in the image of God, he made them male and female. And so one of the things that scholars have told us from the very beginning of time and understanding this is that to be created in God's image makes us relational beings, right? You know, loneliness is what it's one of the most devastating experiences of a human being. Why do you think we take criminals and we put them in solitary confinement, right? They, they can't interact with anybody. And mm. a lot of these people, it's not good for them. Right. And so we're, we're destined to be socially connected. But what's the one thing that stops us from being socially connected? It's our greed. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just that idea of we are unable to really just let I mean, there's, there are people that are, that are more apt to this, but as a whole humanity as a whole, just is so focused on ourselves and that's gotta be just dealt with our base sin, right? Like mm -hmm. that taint of sin makes us unable to really do that human even, nature. Well, and even outside of, I mean, you may see someone protecting their family, but they're still, it's still somewhat greedy because it's still just your tribe or your family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't care what happens to the rest of the world. I know I've had that thought. It's like nuclear apocalypse. I'm taking care of the people I love everybody else. I love You're on you, your own, but you got to figure it out. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I think what's really interesting, though, is that greed dehumanizes us, and, th- and we really see Jesus drive this point home because when he's telling the parable, what the man has a great uh, harvest, right? Right. And it's just a bumper crop. And what happens is he goes, what do I do? Now, what he could do is he could invest all that in building an economy for the people around him. He could invest and do all these other things. But what he does is he says, I'm going to build a barn for the sole purpose of keeping it for myself, right? Not participating in the economy, not participating in family, not participating in anything else. I'm going to build a bigger barn for myself. And then he says, this verse 19, I will say to my, what's the word soul. So Jesus is really showing us what he's talking about here. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Why do you think Jesus uses the word soul? I think this is the most significant point in the parable, and it helps us define and understand what Jesus is trying to communicate because this one statement really narrows and focuses his teaching on the attitude of greed and how it impacts your soul because the rich guy says, well, I've got material goods, and that's going to feed what? My soul. That's what's good for my soul. Right. Right. And that's why this parable isn't about working. It's not about you going out and working and being responsible. Right. Paul says, if you're a believer and you don't work to meet your family's needs, you're worse than an unbeliever. Mm. It's not about being productive. Right. It's not about Jesus saying, you know, be go out and bear fruit for the kingdom of God. He goes, it's not about um, providing for your own needs or those of your family. Uh, No one ever took this parable to mean that we are to shun work, do nothing, rest and let society take care of us because it's God's job to feed us. This notion only happened in the 20th century for almost 2000 years prior to that. You know, it was that nobody ever got that idea from this parable. Therefore, we are to work and be productive, to be wise and smart, increase our fruitfulness. But what it does show is that when we use material things to feed our soul, we end up dehumanizing ourselves and we are robbed. We're robbed of our identity. We're robbed of authenticity. We're robbed of the joy and blessing and bonding of the most important relationships in our life. You know, many people in our world today think, well, if I'm rich, I'll be fulfilled or happy. However, this is proven over and over again to be simply false. Well, and Jesus even speaks to this. Uh, He says something along the lines of, even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of those possessions, right? Like that Mm -hmm. idea of just because he has the abundance doesn't mean that that's what defines his life. And that's so much what the ideology is these days. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll get into this on Thursday, but it's like what I desire uh, sexually or what I have or what I do for work. Those are the things that define me. Those are the mm-hmm. things that I d- define me as a person. And that is how it is. Right. And back then, I mean, the, he's using this idea of agriculture because it was so prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Like that was the primary way. So many of his parables involve agriculture in some way, because up until, you know, within the last hundred years or so, that was the primary form of work. It was just mm-hmm. until recently that we stopped 
as a whole, everyone being somehow involved in agriculture Mm -hmm. up until, you know, then it was, you had a friend or a family member that was probably doing agriculture somewhere. And everybody was looking to figure out how to get food from here to there to the table each and every week. It was not something where you could just order it on Amazon or DoorDash it or have these food <laughs> chains where, you know, yeah. I, I use, grew up on a ranch. So it's like, I've done some agricultural work, but I am definitely the minority when it comes to that. There's a lot of my friends who have never been out on a field mm-hmm. and never picked up a shovel for that kind of work. <laughs> right. They've never done it. Yeah. So, I mean, talk to, I mean, that's really what he's, he's leaning into is this materialism, right? Right. Of, <laughs> of your life does not revolve around those possessions. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think, so that leads us to, well, what's the answer? You know, I mean, Jesus gives us the answer in the parable. He says, you're going to be robbed unless you're rich towards God. So is this basically a call to give away all material goods and possessions? You shouldn't be allowed to own anything and have any wealth. Be a monk and move you take to the a vow of poverty, or is there something deeper going on here? If you look down in verse uh, 31 and 32, it says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Now, this is a parallel uh, teaching recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. So Jesus has taught this before. Now, some people, just a side note about how to study the Bible. A side note is that some people are like, well, he said it this way here and then it's recorded differently. So that means that Jesus never said it and it was different. And it's just like, this is so ridiculous because what happened is Jesus would go to a town and he would teach. Then he would go to the next town and he would teach. What do you think he taught in the next town? The same thing. The same thing. And then he went to the next town, taught the same thing. Then went to the next town, taught the same thing. So he would teach. So how many times do you think the uh, disciples heard these parables? So many times. So many times. That's how they could recount them so accurately. They heard them over and over and over again, right? It's like a, a, a touring band. After a while, they can play the music and they don't even think about it, right? right? <laughs> they just know it. It just, it's reflexive. And so what happens is every time Jesus, I'm sure, would apply it a little bit differently or put a little twist on it. But the purity of it was exactly the same every single time. So the notion that there's a contradiction is just completely absurd and a misunderstanding of the first century. So back to the point is, though, it seems that the context surrounding this passage, this particular passage, the story or, or narrative of the rich few, uh, fool is that we are to be rich towards God. And this means bigger than giving money to God. You can't, you know, rich towards God means that I am rich in the things that God values towards God, right? So if God is a God of love, this is his nature, this is what he values, then being rich towards God means I need to be what? Rich in love. love. Yeah. If God is a God who is forgiving, then I need to be what? Rich in Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And we see these qualities listed out in Galatians chapter 5. I think it's verse 22 or 24 where he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, peace patience, kindness. kindness. These are the things we should be rich in, right? And so this is what it means. We need to be rich towards God. And guess what? Greed robs you 
of wealth. Greed robs you of being rich towards God because it robs you of you being you. Mm. You, the, the you that God has redeemed and saved and made in the image of Christ, the new you that reflects the righteousness of God in you and greed steals you from that. Mm. It robs you being that from you. And what happens is, is that how it works is this way is that if I'm a follower of Jesus and I have this new me, I am loving, I'm rich in love towards God and towards you. I'm rich in love, uh, forgiveness towards God, towards you. I'm rich in kindness and all of these wonderful qualities and virtues that all societies have held up to be virtuous since the beginning of time. I'm rich towards you in all those things, regardless of how you feel about it or if you pay me back. Mm. You see, what greed does is it makes that relationship transactional. And this is the number one problem in marriages today. It's the number one problem is that a husband doesn't love his wife because he's a husband. He loves her based on what kind of wife she is. Mm. Wives do not love their husbands because they're wives. They love their husbands based on what kind of a husband he is. This is transactional. Right. In transactional relationships, always come from the attitude of greed, which right. robs you what can of you. you. Give me? What are you doing for me? What are you doing for me right now? This is the number one reason. Uh, this is a statistic. Uh, it's just factual. That is 80% of all divorces in America today are instituted by women. And if you're a college-educated woman, it's around 90%. Mm. And the number one reason why women are instituting divorce is I'm not happy, happy. And so that, that man, that, that is an indictment on us. Now that doesn't mean, and here's my little qualifier. You know, there's situations where women and men are caught women in particular in maybe an abusive, a highly abusive situation, you know, physical abuse and all these other types of abuse. And we're saying, yeah, we, we need to help you get out of that as quickly as possible. We've done that before, but, but the, what greed does is it equivocates, right? You know, my husband doesn't put the cap on the toothpaste. My husband doesn't, you know, come home and give me a kiss. My husband isn't romantic enough. He doesn't share his feelings with me. I'm not happy, you know? And so this is, this is emotional abuse, mm. you know? And so what we do is we equivocate serious situations of abuse with maybe greed or transactional relationships. And that, why, why would I call that out or point that out? Well, it's not to be insensitive. It's to help you understand that if you adopt that rationale, you're robbing yourself. You're stealing from yourself, right? Because in the end, one of uh, the biggest struggles in life is trying to learn how to love people out of your fullness, right? Of who God says you are. And that, that's how you become a really great person. It doesn't matter if the guy in the car next to you is having road rage, you're like, man, I got, I can give, I can give you love, man. No problem. Why? Because my cup is full. God has filled my cup. 
um, you know, you're working with government employees at the DMV and you're trying to get your thing and you're just like, Hey, I can be patient. Why? Because God's been infinitely patient with me. The biggest thing that people struggle with today is forgiveness of other people, Mm. right? They hold grudges and they bear and they make accusations and they say these things constantly. They can't let it go. But Jesus says the easiest way to forgive is to remember what? I forgave you. I forgave you. And your debt was a whole lot bigger. I can't wait till we teach on the parable of the unforgiving steward. You know, that's Mm. a great one. But that we have to, greed steals us from our authentic fullness. You see how that works? God wants to fill us so that we can, what, love out of these things. But when we're greedy and transactional with our spouse, we're not loving that way. We're loving in a greedy way, which robs us every time, because guess what? It's never enough, right? Right? It's never enough. I need my, my husband. Well, maybe he's romantic this way and this is his love language and he loves me this way, but I need more love. I need to be loved this way, you know? And so we always want what? When we're greedy, we always want more. more. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's very key because we are so transactional these days. I mean, almost everything we do and Pastor Harv's brought this up mm-hmm. before where it's like, our relationships are more transactional interpersonally than they've ever been. And the corporations want a less transactional yes. relationship with you, right? <laughs> like they want to be part of your family. They want to yeah. know how you're doing. They're sending you met. I mean, which is still, yeah. they really do want the transactional. They're just going about a different way. And we'll talk about that but on we, Thursday. Yeah. But we've turned our, our interpersonal reaction, uh, relationships yes. into very transactional. Yes. I'm fine with you until you do something that makes me mad or you say something that, upsets me and then you're dead to me mm-hmm. right there's mm-hmm. no loyalty or any effort put in past uh, you're around until i don't want you and of course this always robs you of peace and and to kind of bring this full circle he's talking to a rich fool based on material goods money right, right. and what's interesting is the the when your spiritual life is in order and your soul is aligned in the kingdom of god the the values of the kingdom of God, guess what? Spending money is no longer a problem. Going out and buying a new vehicle is not a crisis of your conscience, right? It, 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 most importantly, it, it keeps you um, out of debt, right? What happens is today, so many people go out, they like, well, I need to buy something. And they have this huge buyer's remorse or they have all this and I should have done that and they, I've overstretched. Sometimes they use consumer debt to get something that they don't really need to mm. impress people they don't know, you know, kind of a thing. And it's just all this craziness is a sign of how greed drives us. But when you're spiritually in line with the kingdom and your soul is full, not only you're not loving your spouse trans- transactionally, right? But this, you know, a desire of corporate America to be less transactional and part of family is irrelevant. It becomes irrelevant because when I go out and spend money now, it doesn't bother me. When, when somebody says, you know, if I'm checking out at Albertsons and they say, do you want to give a dollar to whatever their flavor is of the day, pride month or this or that? I it's, it's easy to say, no, I don't have any guilty conscience in any way saying no to those things. And when I go out and I have to buy something, you know, or I'm writing checks to help my kid go to college or whatever I'm doing, zero guilt. Why? Because when you learn to overcome this by having your life aligned with the kingdom values and your heart is filled, guess what happens? Buying stuff, you don't feel guilty about it anymore, Mm. right? 
You don't, you don't have a crisis of, uh, of conscience. And the other thing it does is it keeps you out of the biggest struggle that most people have, and that's consumer debt. Now, all debt isn't bad. Sometimes there are programs that are necessary to purchase something uh, like a home over a long period of time. Uh, if it's done properly for the right types of things, it protects the borrower, it protects the lender, everybody's happy, you're in a home, you're on the property ladder, you have home ownership, that's great. It's a good deal for both. However, consumer debt is a whole other ball game, right? And what's happening is consumer debt is going to an all-time high. Right. And what consumer debt has done is pretty much 100%, we get into debt, not because of a need, but because of a want. want. Mm. And then we're in a trap. And let me tell you what, credit card companies are not your friend. No. They are not your friend. They may seem like it. They're always like, hey, we'll give you some more money. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend in college who was talking about how hard he had to work to get out of debt. He goes, you know, when I was in college, I got this card that said I had a $5,000 limit. And I thought, I have $5,000. He goes, it took me a long time to realize I didn't have $5,000. They wanted to lend me $5,000 and then charge me an exorbitant interest rate until I paid it back. (laughs) He goes, that $5,000 cost me five times over once I finally liquidated it. And that's what consumer debt does is it tricks you, right? And we get, we fall into those traps. I have tremendous compassion for anybody who's fallen into that trap, but this is what's so important to understand. And we'll talk more about this on Thursday is that the reason they were able to trick you, the reason they were able to trap you is because they appealed to what? Greed. Greed. That nature, that you were sitting around a table and somebody was putting free money in a bowl and you reached out and grabbed it. You're snatching it out of the bowl. Before everybody else, yeah. And so you want to get over that. And when you do, you are going to find so much freedom in your life. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing uh, this exegesis on this parable. I'm excited to be talking more with you about it on Thursday. And I just want to remind you guys, we are moving the Salty Pastor over to its own YouTube channel and its own website soon. So by the end of July, both of those will be fully up and running. The YouTube channel is already up and running, so Mm -hmm. you can um, subscribe to that so you don't miss episodes when we do do the full transfer over. And then the the website will be up um, in the next couple weeks, and it's going to be really great. You can donate directly to the Salty Pastor Mm -hmm. through that website or through the foothills. Both are still options, Um, but we want you to make sure you are involved in all the great things that are coming up, including some merch that I'm working on. That's going to be exciting. You know, one thing I'm really excited about the work that you guys are doing on the website is this, is that our audience outside of the church has been growing. You know, there's a lot of people in different states and they're sharing with their friends and they can say, they can say now, just go to Salty Pastor because yeah. it's just about that. Right. And so that really helps Gives them. Gives room to breathe. Yeah. And the and church I, also has room to breathe for all of the stuff. Yeah, it's so I think too. it's great. It's a great opportunity for you to share the Salty Pastor with your friends and then ac- they can access it directly. They don't have to go through the church or any other thing. It's a direct access just for them. And hopefully God will use it to bless their lives. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. And we'll see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor podcast. Blessings.